So we are in this seven-week series. Uh, we started um, last week on Easter Sunday, and uh, the series is, is entitled The Kingdom, The Kingdom. So this really is week number two of our, of our new series. And we are diving into what, uh, the, the question, what is the kingdom of God? Um, or in, in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. It's the same idea. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what is that about? It seems to be the central message of the teaching of Jesus. So what is it? And again, if you're new to Christianity, this is a great Sunday to be here um, to ask that question. So, um, so last Sunday, what we saw in week number one was that Jesus, at, at the moment that he dies on a cross, as horrific and horrible as that looked, if you look closely, you'll see that this is actually the coronation of the king. Right, the crown that he wears, uh, the way he's pierced, um, the prophecies of, of a servant that would come and die for the people, like all of it, when you add it all up together, you see that Jesus is actually being coronated king, that the kingdom is coming in that moment, that the king has arrived. And three days later, as he rises from the dead, uh, the good news that he has been vindicated, that death is uh, an enemy, and that he has power over death itself. So the king is alive. So the king has been crowned, and the king is alive. So that was week one, just looking at the kingship of Jesus. <clears throat> and so today, what we're going to do is we're just going to dive a little bit deeper, roll up our sleeves, and say, what is the kingdom? Uh, as we do, I'd like to start with an image. Um, it's an image of Japanese pottery. Uh, it's, it's called kintsugi. Some of you are aware of kintsugi. Um, it's a way of repairing broken pottery. And in, J in Japanese, uh, those of you who speak Japanese uh, can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the word kintsugi is translated in English as golden joinery. So there's, um, I don't know if the, the picture shows it correctly, but there's often it, uh, it's used like a golden glue is actually used to piece together broken pottery. Um, and you can look this up online. It's actually quite beautiful, uh, these images of these these pots that have been broken, and as they're put back together, there's this like golden thread uh, that glues the pot back together. It's a centuries-old practice, and uh, Kelly Richmond Abdu writes the following about kintsugi. She says, kintsugi often makes the repaired piece even more beautiful than the original, revitalizing it with a new look and giving it a second life, a second life, giving this broken pottery a second life. How is God repairing the world? How is God putting a broken world back together? How is God going to give the world a second chance at life? How is God gathering the broken pieces of the world and how is he weaving a golden thread as he puts it back together? Jesus gives us a very simple answer to that question. And the answer is the kingdom. The kingdom. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so Jesus, we come to you today and we know you're here because we know you're alive. And we know that it is your great desire to take a broken world a hurting world, and put it back together. We know that you, the great artist, the great potter, God, you are wanting to heal the world. So would you begin with us today? Would you put us back together? 
our broken, sinful, messed up lives, would you put us back together and that we would watch you person by person all around the world heal the world. We thank you. We love you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done right here as it is in heaven. Amen. All right, so what is the kingdom of God? Well, if we talked about the kingdom of God uh, a number of minutes ago before we started the sermon, if I came up to you and we were chatting and I said, hey, what's the, what's the kingdom? Um, what would you say? What would have been your, your, your immediate answer if, if I asked you? Um, would you say <clears throat> something, if you're brand new to Jesus, you might say something like, um, sounds really political. <laughs> Or uh, sounds like, like a Netflix series with like, lots of swords and horses and, and uh, castles and stuff like that. Sounds cool. What is the kingdom? Ooh, mysterious. Um, but some of you would say it sounds political, right? Because obviously kings, queens, politics, you know. Um, is it about war? Or like, I mean, what, what's going on with this kingdom? It's, you know, kings and kingdoms, we don't talk often uh, about these things. And so, so what is it? I mean, some of you have been Christians for a while. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk about it. Uh, the kingdom as being something that will come in the future. Um, I hope by the end of the series, you will not say that anymore. That's one of my goals <laughs> for the next six weeks. Uh, but some of you might have said, it's this future thing. It's this thing that's going to happen one day. Um, God's going to become king one day. You know, it's, it's there. Some of you might even say it is heaven because it's the kingdom of heaven. So it's heaven. So it's the place I go when I die. Um, by the way, those are good, <laughs> uh, good, good uh, answers. Um, I don't think it's complete. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's getting at what at Jesus really wanted us to see. Um, so it's not heaven far away. It's, 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 uh, it's not just future. And some have taken the kingdom, and, and it's all about social justice, right? So it's all about um, activism, right? So... Um, uh, helping the poor and the marginalized. That's great. That's amazing. It's so good. But I think it's more than that as well. What, what would you say if I asked you about the kingdom? Is it still coming? Or is it here? You know, in this room, I bet you there'd be a variety of answers. It's here. It's coming. Yes, no. Yes, and. <laughs> Both and. What is the kingdom of God? What was Jesus talking about? Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is gospel? Well, the gospel is the Greek word euangelion, which would, it can mean good news or news of victory. It's a, it's a Roman Empire term, euangelion. Um, by the way, uh, if you are new to Jesus and you've often heard the word um, evangelical or evangelism. It all comes from this word. It, you, know, uh, <clears throat> you know, those words maybe for some today are just like, that's scary words, right? <laughs> evangelical Christians. Um, when you read the, you know, the news, it doesn't look very good for evangelical Christians. But the word evangelical, it comes from the, Greek, from the Greek word euangelion, and it just simply means good news. The idea is that you're a good news people. And Christians really have to look at their own lives and say, do you, do you find that what comes out of your mouth is good news? Does this sound good news to anybody? Um, uh, good news. And the image here is the, in the empire, in the Roman Empire, as uh, let's say Caesar, Augustus Caesar, wanted to send out a message to all the places around the Mediterranean in the Roman Empire, what he would do is he would send out messengers, people that would carry the gospel. Gospel meaning euangelion, good news. Runners who would run across the empire 
literally running and maybe holding a scroll. And they would show up in a city, uh, let's say, um, like Corinth, and okay, and they roll, unroll the, the scroll, and they'd say, okay, uh, good news. <laughs> Caesar Augustus just won a war against, uh, you know, the Gauls in Germany or something like that, right, uh, in Europe or something. Or, or, or the Roman Empire just won a war against the Vikings or something like that. You know, good news. You know, we were victorious. Euangelion. Uh, it's gospel, right? That's, that's, that's the idea. And so it's beautiful. Actually, um, Jesus picks up this language, right? And it's like Jesus is, on, you know, uh, opening a scroll and he's saying, good news. Uh, the kingdom of God is here. <laughs> you know, what, is that? what does that mean? <laughs> the kingdom of God is here. Good news. So um, uh, there's numerous definitions for the kingdom of God. I really like how one uh, Bible teacher named Tim Mackey um, from the Bible Project defines the kingdom of God. So what is the good news of the kingdom? He says this, quote, the kingdom of God is how God is taking back his world. I like that. How God is taking back his world. God is taking back his broken world. And he's going to put it back together with a golden thread. Kintsugi. Now, I, I want you to see... Um, I want you to see this in the scriptures, in, in, the, in the Bible. Um, what I'm going to do is take five minutes and walk through all of the Bible. Okay, so you, are, you, are you ready? <laughs> Sounds a little overwhelming, but here we go. Um, by the way, a little bit of this is inspired by Tim Mackey. Uh, a bunch of this are some of my own thoughts, but this is just hopefully helpful for you to hear how the thread of king and kingdom goes throughout all of the Bible. Just, if, uh, just a reminder, the Bible is 66 books. It's a library of different books and, and uh, poets, um, historians, um, uh, prophets, uh, putting together the story of God. So I just want to show you how this th thread of the kingdom of God uh, goes through uh, the whole Bible. So starting off, very, right at the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Um, powerful story of God creating. And he gives humans, he delegates to human beings uh, this role of, of ruling, like being kings and queens. Like <clears throat> God's obviously the king, <laughs> but he says, I've made a beautiful creation. I'm paraphrasing, by the way, paraphrasing the Bible here. Hey, I've made a beautiful creation, little human beings. And what I want you to do is be kings and queens as you rule over all creation. Now, just really quick before I read this verse, rule to us sounds mean, right? Like take advantage and, you know, burn it and destroy it and whatever. That's because we have a bad view of rulership, right? But really, when God delegates to his kings and queens, his little earthling people, <laughs> that they would actually steward the earth, care for it. Listen to this. Uh, Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule, see, rule, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the idea was that God is king. He's going to delegate this um, reigning and ruling to his, his people, that they would actually take care of the earth. Well, uh, two chapters later, Genesis 3, uh, things fall apart in a big way. And um, we see this story of humanity wanting to reign themselves. They want to be their own kings and queens. They don't want God to be king. They, they want to define what is good and evil on their own. And so we see this mysterious story of this serpent. This seems to be kind of like this enemy of God, tempting humans to take from this forbidden fruit. And the idea here is that 
Um, this, is, this is one of those macro stories, just so you know. It is, it, is, it is saying so much more than we can even wrap our minds around it. But, but, but what we see here is the truth is, is that humans want to take from this forbidden fruit. But the idea here is this is, a, this is an image of taking from and defining good and evil on our own. We want the power to say what is good and evil in our lives. We don't want to be under the reign of God. We want to define what is good and evil. And so we take and we eat, and it's like we're participating in our own kingdom. It's the kingdom of self, right? And in the Bible, the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of the present age, that's language for uh, me being king of my own life. Thank you very much, God. <laughs> I don't want you around. I will define what is good for me, and I will define what is evil, and, 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 and it's my kingdom. <laughs> And, and I don't want you part of it, right? And what did that lead to? So the stories of scripture, it leads to lots of brokenness and pain and hurt in the world. Maybe you can even testify to it your own, in your own life. You would say, like, my life without God, when I was not under the care of God or the reign of God, um, I made uh, terrible choices, right? Um, but when I came under his reign and rule um, and chose to trust him, that there was this sense in which I was being put back together in his kingdom. But anyway, so Genesis 3. Uh, we turned away from the king. And, and, it, and it led to this terrible problem. How was God going to put the world back together? How would, he, how would he work his kintsugi, right? How would he bring the world back to a place of healing? Well, what he did is he did this thing that you and I would never do. We wouldn't pick this plan. Um, he picked this tiny little old couple. Uh, you want to yell out their names? What were their names? Abraham and Sarah. That's right. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick this little old couple and I'm going to move them out of their home, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give them a family. And they're going to be, like, really, really old, like, well beyond the ability to have children. And they're going to have some kids. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. And uh, that's how I'm going to start to put the world back together. <laughs> you know, you and I, we would just never pick that plan, right? We'd never do that. And yet God in his mercy, he does that. In his wisdom, he does that. So he picks this family, and this family grows, and there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. And these 12 sons become these 12 tribes. And God is saying that this, this group, Israel, this kingdom, I'm going to work in them, and the world will look at this, at this little family, uh, a growing family, but it is family, um, and they're going to see what it looks like when God is king, when I'm king, right? This is God speaking, right? When I'm king of, the, of this people. And, uh, and we see what happens. God takes care of them. He feeds them. He provides for them. He gives them his heart, his law, right? He, he, he gives them a way to live and a way to worship, and he rescues them out of slavery in Egypt, and now we're really working through the Bible quick here, but like he just saves them, and, and, and actually one of the first times in the Bible where we see that God is king over his people is in Exodus 15, 18. The Lord, Yahweh, reigns forever and ever. He's king. He's king over his people, but here's the deal. This little family that he's working with, this kingdom that he has, um, they want their own earthly king. They're not satisfied with God being king. They're like, we want our own king. We're looking around, and it looks like all the other kingdoms have earthly kings, so we want one. Um, you know, uh, it's like coveting, right? He has a new car. I want a new car. Well, they have a king. We want a king. And uh, God's like, it's not going to go well for you if you get an earthly king. And they're like, we want one anyway. And he's like, okay. And so you'll know the story. Some of you will know the stories of a guy named Saul, a guy named David, Solomon. These are some of the kings of Israel. And it just does not go well. So summarizing lots of the Bible, it does not go well 
right? The kings of Israel, it's just bad, bad news. Um, uh, that's summary, it's, I, I'm not saying you don't have to read it. I'm just saying if you read it, it's bad news. And, um, and so even, even David, right? Like, so David is supposed to be like the king, you know, the man after God's own heart. He's given us a bunch of songs that we sing here in the Psalms. Um, and he's a mess. He's a mess. And he's supposed to be like the best one, right? And he, his life is a mess. And so the people of Israel were starting to wonder, well, like, when would God become king again? Like, these earthly rulers are corrupt. They're terrible. They're not great leaders of the people. When would God become king again? And so then the prophets, the prophets, the prophets started to talk about one day God would send someone. And it's weird. It's like God would become king somehow through this child. There, there would come this, this child, and somehow it's weird. Like, God is king, but yet this child would be king, and then, you know, it's mysterious. Like, when you read the prophets, it's very mysterious. Like, I'll give you an example. This won't be on the screen, but Isaiah 9, some of you hear this verse at Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, so this child, the government will be on his shoulders? What? This is prophecy. We talk about something that would happen hundreds of years from that moment. And then in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, we read this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. A king would come. And so Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets are talking about one day somebody would show up, and when this person shows up, God would be king. Okay, are you still with me here? Are we together in this? Are you taking a nap? Please don't take a nap. Okay. <laughs> I, this, is, this, is, this is beautiful stuff, okay? Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. In Luke chapter 1, Gabriel, uh, an angel who stands in the presence of God, visits this young woman in a tiny little town uh, in Galilee. And her name is Mary. And he says to her this, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God, catch this North Langley, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So after all of this anticipation, from the moment in Genesis 3 where we turned away and said, nope, we'll define what is good and evil, right? We take the fruit. It had been moving towards this moment when God would show up and be king through Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is actually born, these angels fill the night sky, and these shepherds are totally freaking out. And the angels say this, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's a kingly town, uh, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. That's, that's, that's the king, anointed one, right? He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And here's this king. He comes. He's humble. He's loving. He's filled with grace. He is a king, and, and what he does is he forms a kingdom. Jesus says the time has come. The kingdom is here, and he pulls together this kingdom of 12 leaders, which looks a whole lot like the 12 sons of Jacob, like a new Israel. And these 12 tribes of Israel, they were renewed. It's like a renewed kingdom. It's like Jesus is like hitting a reset button. It's like he is starting something powerful here. And then the craziest thing, 
the thing that blew our minds, the things that we could have never imagined, the thing is that the king would die for you and the king would lay his life down for you and that that's how he would save the world is he would give up his own life, shed his own blood for you and then he'd welcome you to come be part of his kingdom. See, the entire story of scripture is how God is putting a broken world back together. Can I say that again? The entire story of scripture is how God is putting a broken world back together. It's kintsugi on a macro scale. The kingdom of God is how God is taking back his world. Do you want to be part of that? Do you want to be part of that? Is there something in you that's like, yes, I want to be part of that? And this is the heart of our prayer. Christians pray a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Matthew 6, 9 to 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like what we want to do, what we're praying there is that, okay, We've taken from the fruit. We have decided what is good and evil on our own. It has led to brokenness and pain. What we want to do is we want to come under your kingship. Like in heaven, God's will is being done. Heaven is like God's space. It's not up. It's just around. Like the heavens, is that's where God reigns. It's where his will is being done, right? And we're like, could you bring some of that here? <laughs> could we see things open up and for your will to happen here? for your freedom, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for all of that to like happen here as it's happening in your space. That's what we're praying. We want to come under his kingship for him to just put us back together. And so what does that look like? Like maybe you're wondering like, look, actually, like, could you describe that, Matthew? Like, what does it look like? Well, the most amazing thing is that Jesus describes it himself. One day he's teaching in his own hometown and he grabs a scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he unrolls it. And, uh, and he, it's called the Nazareth Manifesto. And he gives his mission statement. This is what he's going to do. This is going to be what it looks like. You want to know what it looks like for God to be king and for a kingdom to come? Here it is. He, he unfurls the scroll, and he starts reading. And uh, remember, before I read this to you, anointed, anointed one, is Messiah. It's, it's, it's the word for a king. So just listen to this. This is what Jesus says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, king, right? He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for those in prison and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, well, really quick, what's that last line? Year of the Lord's favor? That is the year of jubilee. Um, it was God's design that in Israel, um, in his kingdom, that every 50 years, there would be the year of jubilee, which means all debts would be forgiven. Can you imagine that? Like right now, you're like thinking probably, while I was going through uh, a long Old Testament story of your visa card, right? And your MasterCard and inflation, right? Like you're just like, ah, oh, I'm in debt, right? Can you imagine every 50 years, um, uh, all debt is forgiven? You're like silent. Like, are you silent because it's like, it's like a deer in headlights? Like, I can't, that world, I cannot picture that world. Imagine, the people, the, the, the idea, every 50 years, all debts were forgiven. It's a clean slate. 
right? It's a powerful. What would that do to people who are just struggling under debt, struggling under the slavery of this indebtedness? Can you imagine the people at Visa and MasterCard are like pulling their hair out? They're like, this is the worst system ever. Like, our job is to get people enslaved for years, you know, in debt. And, uh, and, they're, and it doesn't work. Because in God's economy, the idea of releasing people from debt, oh, so powerful, right? Freeing people. This is what it looks like when Jesus is king. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you do. I don't know. But it's good news to the poor. Freedom for prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Setting the oppressed free. Proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. The canceling of debts. This speaks of freedom. Freedom. It's a kingdom of freedom. A kingdom of broken people whose lives are being put back together. Do you want to be part of that? That's the invitation that Jesus is giving as he walks around. He walks around farms and fields, walks by a lake, and he tells them, the kingdom's here. Want to be part of it? <laughs> Everywhere Jesus went, he was setting people free. Have you noticed that when you read the New Testament or the Gospels? He's setting people free. Like the poor are fed, the blind can see, the lame can walk, the marginalized are loved, the sick are healed. Everywhere Jesus goes, it's like this pocket of heaven. Poof. It opens up right in front of him. And people experience heaven on earth. And they experience this healing and this love and this grace <laughs> and this acceptance that, like, that they have not experienced before. It was like a, just a, you know, a beam of heaven just comes down. Like everywhere Jesus went, it's like as he touches people and cares for them and hugs them and heals them and speaks to them, it's like people are experiencing God's kingdom come. He's mending a broken world everywhere he goes. Can I, can I quickly say something really important? <laughs> Oftentimes, we as Christians have this idea that what Christianity is, is a ticket to heaven. I pray a certain prayer, I'm given a ticket to heaven, and then I'm mandated to come week after week and sit in a building. Um, and that's Christianity, right? <laughs> Now, I know most of you know that that's not the case, but sometimes it feels that way. It's like, well, I prayed this prayer. I said I would follow Jesus. I get a ticket to heaven, and now I sit and attend church, <laughs> something like that. And that is uh, uh, not the case. That's not the Christian life. Now, do I believe in the hope of heaven? You bet I do. Absolutely. Um, uh, over a year ago, Tanya lost her father, and uh, we, our family has clung to the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven. Um, that, that heaven is real, eternal life is real. But here's the deal, that um, every, every memorial that I officiate, officiate, um, officiate, ooh, that sounded very regal. Uh, it, every memorial, we believe in the hope of heaven. So can you just know that I believe that, please? <laughs> I believe that, I believe that. But the point of G what Jesus, if, okay, if you want to get inside what Jesus is doing, Jesus is, is praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we believe in heaven, but the whole point was that God's kingdom would come, that heaven would invade earth, that heaven would start changing you and I. And so that's why if we sit there with our ticket to heaven, but we, that we are unchanged, we're still addicted, we're still bitter, we're still prideful, we're still greedy, we're still lustful. Like all of that is just like, we are not allowing heaven to invade my life and to actually change me. And so, and so the key prayer is for his kingdom to come into my life and change me. And, 
and do kintsugi on my life, in my marriage, in my home, in my workplace, in my church, in my relationships, that God would take all the broken pieces here and remake it. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It is that heaven is invading you today, that Jesus would come into your life today and remake you. So, so the question is, as we see the mission of Jesus, the question I have is, did Jesus' early followers actually do this? Right? If you look at the first, like, let's say, 300 years of, of Christian history, did Jesus' followers do this? Did they, did they go out proclaiming good news to the poor and releasing prisoners and la 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 la? right? Did they do that? I think they did. Uh, I want to point you to a fascinating book. Uh, a Baylor University professor named Rodney Stark, he chronicles... Uh, the, the expansion of Christianity in the Roman Empire in the first 300 years. By the way, if you guys are like history people, some of your history people, this is your moment. <laughs> uh, this, uh, you can lean, lean into this. Uh, the Rise of Christianity is what the book is called. The Rise of Christianity. It's a wonderful book. <clears throat> and it follows the first 300 years of, of, of history um, in the Roman Empire of the Jesus movement. And it's fascinating. We see evidence of followers of Jesus living out the good news of the kingdom. That they themselves were changed, so changed by Jesus, that everywhere they went, they were seeing the kingdom come. That they were seeing the poor loved and cared for and the sick cared for. And like they went out and they did this. The kingdom came and was coming in, in and through their lives. I want to give you four quick examples. Example number one, citizens of the kingdom of God cared for others during plagues. They cared for others during plagues. So really quick, there were two massive plagues, one in the second century, one in the third. These plagues wiped out huge portions of the Roman Empire. Um, you can check that out historically, up to 30% of the empire both times. Can you imagine a third of the population dying? Christians were at the front lines of care uh, as people fled cities because of the plagues, Christians stayed in the cities to care for the sick and dying. The church became a new family to those who were suffering. You need to know it's really important historically that Christians cared for non-Christians during this time. They didn't just care for their own. They cared for non-Christians. They followed Jesus with faith, which allowed them to understand suffering. They were not afraid of death. They were not afraid of these plagues. Many Christians died because they were willing to care for others that had the plague, and they bore it in their own body and died because of it. Um, uh, there are, what I'm told, are red martyrs and white martyrs. Red martyrs are those who, like, are killed uh, and suffer because of, you know, um, they're, you know, crucified or whatever. But there's the white martyrs, those who are loving others, and they bear in their own body um, uh, the plague. And so, and so this is just, it's Christian love, <laughs> moving in and caring for sick people. Loving the sick was how God the King was taking back his world. It's how God was caring for the world and putting it back together. And early Christians knew that. Second thing, uh, citizens of the kingdom of God, they were opposed to um, abortion and infanticide. Now, before I talk about abortion, I know we live in some pretty polarized days um, politically when I bring up a topic like this. Also, um, if you've had an abortion or if um, abortion has affected your life in any way, please know. I just want you to know you are loved by God. We're glad you're here. You're welcome here. Our pastoral team would love to walk with you as you process the pain of that story in your own life. 
And so just, just please hear that and know that. Um, uh, but I just need you to see some history here. Okay, so just join with me here um, with some history. Uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to hear, but the Roman Empire favored the birth of sons. And the church prohibited the killing of, of babies. But more specifically, the church uh, prohibited the intentional killing of female babies, female babies. To kill female infants or deformed male infants was legal in the Roman Empire. You were allowed to do that. And uh, I want you to listen to a portion of a letter written by a man named Hilarion to his pregnant wife, Alice. Um, this uh, letter was discovered on papyrus in Egypt, and it gives just an awful picture of life in the Roman Empire. So this is a husband telling his wife what to do, um, which across all generations should be just a no, um, you know, man did telling his wife, listen, this is horrible, it sounds horrible. Above all, if you bear a child and it's male, let it live, but if it is female, cast it out. Not awful, just because it's a girl. Um, but, and we have a record uh, in, in early Christian teaching that, uh, that forbids the act of um, exposure or, uh, or abortion, you know, leaving a, a baby exposed to the elements and, and dying. Uh, there's a document called the Didache. Um, it was written about 40 to 80 years after Jesus died and rose again, and it says this. It's not on the screen, but just listen. It says, you shall not murder a child by abortion nor kill that which is begotten. See, very early on, early Christians saw that there was this, this painful thing going on in the world and that little children were, were being killed. And early Christians opened up their homes into adoption and welcoming these little babies and uh, rescuing them from being exposed, left in the elements. And, uh, and, and the interesting thing is that uh, because this was a priority for early Christians, um, think of the implications. It meant that Christian families were just larger than other families in the Roman Empire. And they simply had more children. They had more girls, specifically. How beautiful is that, right? They had more girls. And uh, as a, a proud father of two little girls, right? I just think, what, what a beautiful addition to all of these homes. Lots of these girls were adopted into early Christian homes. And uh, it was loving the vulnerable. And if you actually think about it mathematically, this is just a little side issue. Um, lots of these little girls grew up and married pagan husbands and converted their husbands. <laughs> so if you want to know why Christianity grew massively in the, <laughs> in the first 300 years, um, it was just like missionary uh, dating and marrying. Anyway, it was just beautiful. Okay, so there you go. Um, <laughs> loving vulnerable babies was how God the King was taking back his world, right? It's how he's going to put it back together. Little baby girls matter. Little deformed baby boys, they matter, and early Christians adopted them. So number three, citizens of the kingdom of God gave dignity to women, gave dignity to women. See, at the time in the empire, men totally outnumbered women in the Greco-Roman empire. Um, uh, it's estimated that at this time in history, for every 140 men, uh, there were 100 women. <clears throat> and this was due to what I just mentioned, gender selection, right? It's a problem. Um, and, uh, and recent articles that I've been reading about what's currently going on in China, like it's the same problem, right? Like you, and anyway, so keep, 
I'm going to keep going here. Uh, but women were honored in the church. They were honored in the church. Women enjoyed a far higher status in the church than they did in uh, the pagan Roman Empire. So when we read early documents, women were evangelists. They were, teacher, they were teachers. They were disciples, right? They were deacons in the early church. Um, there has been a long debate about whether women were elders in the church. And, uh, and currently in the world, the church is pretty split on that. Half uh, say yes, half say no. That's a topic that we're going to dive into this next year as a church family. Woohoo! Um, so all of you just pray about that, but it's going to be fun. Actually, I think it's going to be fun because we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to go, what does the Bible actually say about women as elders? But anyway, um, but you just need to know that all Christians, no matter what your stripe is on, on elders, um, believe that just the early church gave dignity to women, and uh, women were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were given gifts from the Holy Spirit. They were ma this was massively attractive to women um, uh, across the Roman Empire. They saw that in the kingdom of Jesus that there was dignity for them. There was dignity, and uh, what a beautiful gift. And so this is how God was remaking the world, putting a broken world back together. And number four, citizens of the kingdom of God cared for people in the city in the city. Now, just so you know, we live in a time when cities are like really cool. Everyone wants to go live downtown. Um, you want to live in like Manhattan or you want to live downtown Vancouver or something like that. Uh, at this time in history, not so much, like <laughs> not, not really. So uh, cities were horrific places to live. Rodney Stark's, Rodney Stark, by the way, some of you might think that now. You're like, I love my acreage. I hate cities. Parking's terrible fine, but it was way worse at this time, right? It's not just bad parking. Um, studying Antioch, the ancient city of Antioch, um, Rodney Stark says, Antioch was a city filled with misery, danger, fear, despair, hatred. Most families lived in filthy homes. Half the children died young. Uh, different ethnicities clashed in the cities. Mob violence, crime flourished. Um, there were cataclysmic disasters that hit cities. Um, obviously, they were hit hard by the plagues. And so Antioch, and other Greco-Roman cities were not great places to live, but Christians stayed in the cities. They stayed in the cities, and they offered cities hope. Listen to this. I want to just quote Rodney Stark. To cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. So powerful, right? So here are these early Christians and loving cities, hurting cities. This is how God would put the world back together in his kingdom. And more than all of this, I just want you to know, Jesus' followers introduced the Roman Empire to a relationship with the living God. You could have a relationship with God. For the kingdom to come meant that the world could actually know and love the king and be known and loved by the king. So beautiful that the creator would love us, that he would come and die for us and shed his blood for us. What, a, what an amazing gift that God would welcome us into his family. See, the offer of the kingdom was new life, a forgiven life, eternal life of Jesus. Can I just make another quick rabbit trail? Oftentimes in Christian circles, just beware of this, just as my encouragement to you, um, I just please be aware. There are often Christian teachings that some prioritize the kingdom and some prioritize what they call the gospel. The gospel and the kingdom. And you guys maybe have all attended different kinds of churches or different kinds of teachers that will, you know, so, so one group will say, 
It's all about personal salvation. It's all about your ticket to heaven. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's all about you being saved, right? And that's, that's the gospel. And others will say it's all about the kingdom of God, which what, what they mean is social justice and activism and seeing the poor fed and people cared for and, and rights and justice and all that kind of stuff. And, and can I just say, like, when I look at scriptures, it's both. It's always both. It's always both. Does God want me to be saved and healed by the power of the cross and resurrection? You bet. That's central. That's core, right? So we at North Langley, are a, we want to be gospel-centered church. Like, it actually means that we are actually changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. But does that mean, again, like I said earlier, I just sit there with my little ticket to heaven. It's like, I'm saved. You saved. I'm saved. You saved. Who's saved? And, uh, and, and, then, and then we don't go about doing the good work of the kingdom of God. Jesus, the Nazareth Manifesto, it's to, you know, bring hope to the poor and to the prisoner and to, and to those suffering and just to cancel debts. Like the whole point is that God's world would be remade and put back together. And, um, and you know, uh, kingdom people call gospel people, you know, fundamentalists and gospel people call, you know, kingdom people just a bunch of liberal folk or whatever. I don't know what the words are. I'm just like, when I listen to that, I'm like, come on, people. Like, it's both. It's together. It's always been both. And uh, so that was my rabbit trail, and it wasn't in the notes. So hopefully that, but I'm probably going to say that like 10 more times in this series because it bugs me to no end. Anyway, um, but so just so you know, um, we have a great opportunity uh, right now to actually be a, uh, a kingdom people, and it's to love single moms in our, in our community who are going through a very difficult time, uh, raising kids on their own, um, uh, a single income at a time of high inflation. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, some, some families here who have double income are finding it hard to pay the bills. Uh, can you imagine what uh, all of our single moms are going through? And we have this event that you've heard about. Um, single moms, Saturday, it's a, it's a day to bless single moms, to let them know that they're not alone, that, they're, that we love them, that we're there for them. And, uh, it's a, and so we have um, 150 spots of volunteers to make this day happen for these single moms to come and feel blessed. And uh, I was told that only 40 people have signed up in our whole church <laughs> to help on that day. So there are 110 spots left. And if you're like, Matthew's giving a commercial break in the middle of the sermon, you bet I am. It's an important commercial break, okay? So this is like a literally applicable moment to be um, the presence of the kingdom of God in our city. And so would you just stop at that table on the way out and say, I'm in. I'd love to, to give my time on Saturday of the Mother's Day weekend to just um, uh, to, to love some single moms. Okay, I'm going really long, but I'm going to end this. Okay, so here's the deal. Like Kintsugi, can you see how God is putting the world back together? Um, how God is gathering up the broken pieces of the world, how he's weaving a golden thread as he puts us back together. Whether it's a sinful heart that needs forgiveness and the good news of the gospel, or whether it's a broken city that needs to see the kingdom come, can you see that it is all God healing the world, all of it? Whether it's caring for people during plagues, loving children, giving girls life, giving women dignity, being a people of love in violent Christian cities, or uh, violent Roman cities. This is how God is taking his world back. It's how, I just, I, I honestly, I hope that this fills you with hope. It's tons of hope. Because it's good news to the poor. It's freedom for the prisoners. It's recovery of sight for the blind. It's setting the oppressed free. It's the realization of the year of the Lord's favor. Do you want to be part of this? The kingdom of God is how God is taking back his world. 
And it starts with you and I. It starts small, really small. The first step is to understand that Jesus as king wants to heal you, wants to put you back together. It doesn't start necessarily with acts of justice and all that stuff. It starts with you being put back together, reclaiming you, reclaiming me. I'm the broken pottery that needs to be put back together. I need freedom and healing and hope. You know, there was a moment, some of you know the story, but like um, I was kind of deep in some addiction a number of years ago, and uh, about uh, 15 years, 16 years ago, and um, a, a mentor of mine came to me and just said, Matthew, you need to stop. You need healing. You need healing. Like you need to experience this. He didn't say it this way, but Kintsugi. You need to experience this healing. And, uh, and of course, God wants to use you in his kingdom, but you just can't go forward until you pause and allow him to heal you. That was such good words in my life, and I walked through a season of healing and, 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 and trying to see the good news of the gospel hit my life. And so I want, I want to offer you the same moment. Um, could you stand? Can we stand together? I want to have a moment of prayer with you. And I simply want to ask this. Um, I would encourage you, um, if you feel comfortable, to close your eyes. Um, spend some time thinking about your life and I would just want to start by telling you that the first thing Jesus wants to do is to pour his love upon you is for you to know that the cross is for you that the healing power of God is for you I want to give a specific word here to Christians in the room who have followed Jesus for years but you're feeling so broken you're feeling caught in sin and can I just want to tell you, like, the power of Jesus' healing is for you this morning. So what's broken? What's hurting? Would you open up your life to the healer? Would you simply pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm done, Jesus. I'm done living life under my own authority. I want to come under your authority. Here in a moment, there's going to be a few people up front that are ready to receive you for prayer. Our prayer room is just in the back. Um, would, you, would you come forward to receive prayer? Would you turn to someone you love next to you and pray for them? I want this whole room to be a place of prayer. But where do you need to be made new? Jesus, we thank you that you're here, that you're in this room. Would you put us back together? Would you hold the broken pieces of our life and would you put it back together like a great artist? Would you weave a golden thread in the broken places and would you remind us that you love us? Would you pour your love out upon us? Would you give us courage to move forward and receive prayer? Would you give us courage to love one another? And so as we end here, North Langley, just simply pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life as it is in heaven.